Hey everyone, this is Andrew Wicklander with a new uh, podcast episode of the Project Idealism Podcast. Uh, I have been away for a few months and joining me today is uh, an attorney based in Seattle named William Carlton. He blogs uh, almost daily at his blog wax6.com. Is it it's wax6.com or .net? I forget. That's right. No, it's .com. W-A-C numeral 6.com. Yeah. Right on. Cool. And William is going to be uh, talking to me today pretty much all about the JOBS Act and what it means for entrepreneurs, what it means for startups, um, what, what uh, pitfalls we might want to be aware of and or avoid. And uh, I just I follow uh, William on Twitter and saw him posting all sorts of stuff about the Jobs Act, and he was kind enough to join us. So thanks a bunch for, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for making the, the time and for the uh, opportunity to talk. Absolutely. So before we jump into the, um, the, the nuts and the bolts of the actual Jobs Act, why don't you give listeners just real quick your, your background, uh, what you do for a living, how you know so much about the Jobs Act, and then we'll kind of we'll we'll just kind of jump in jump into everything. Sure. Um, well, among other things, I've I'm a, I've been a lawyer for the past twenty years, and most of my career I've been in the internet space. Um, I like to think I started the first internet practice in Seattle in the during the first dot com boom, and threw the bust. <laughs> um, I like entrepreneurs. I like uh, startups and emerging companies. I like business people that want to kind of poke somebody in the eye, create something out of nothing, uh, uh, you know, push themselves and the people around them to get more from themselves, live life at a higher level. So entrepreneurship to me and supporting that and being a part of that is what makes uh, business interesting. So that's my interest. My, uh, uh, as, as life has had it, um, a lot of my um, clients are serial entrepreneurs who like to stay in control of their own destiny. So my, uh, it's you know, I've got clients that are invested in by by VCs or that are bootstrapped, but by and large, they're they're backed by angel investors, high net worth people that meet the accredited investor standard. So I have a personal, professional um, um, uh, interest in angel financing, okay. and that's the perspective from which I I, I was uh, watching what was happening with the Dodd bill a couple of years ago. And what uh, what I was focused on in following the how the Jobs Act was generated, uh, um, uh, but uh, you know, after we were talking, Andrew, you and I a little bit before we um, you know started the recording about just what what does the Jobs Act mean for entrepreneurs, right? Um, and I guess one way of entering it is to say it presents a variety of different alternatives for entrepreneurs to find financing for their businesses. And unless you think of a better way to enter the conversation, maybe we could just kind of start by, by inventorying what the current landscape is and what the JOBS Act may or may not add to the menu. Yeah, I think that would be, that would be fantastic. So Today... Should we assume that it's maybe some maybe a first time entrepreneur or somebody that hasn't done it a half dozen times? Yeah, I think let's. So one of the things I know you've been writing a lot about is how the Jobs Act affects different people differently, so that it's affecting angel investors in one way, entrepreneurs in another way. For maybe just for for ease, we'll assume that the entrepreneurs are people who are either uh, 
like considering raising money and now there's a new option out there for them or they've never considered raising money and now there is this crowdsourcing option and it's intriguing them in some fashion. Yeah. So you got an idea and you're going to uh, start a new company around it. Maybe you have a partner, maybe you're doing it on your own, maybe you have a small team, maybe, you know, maybe you're going to build the, the team as it goes. So you, 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 you incorporate a business or you start a business, how are you going to finance that business? A, a lot of people bootstrap, right? They'll spend their own money, they'll borrow their own money, they'll, uh, they'll um, uh, tap their friends and their family, although there is no, <laughs> there is no friends and family exemption. But, but what, one thing you, that they won't do is they won't go out to the general public and say, hey, I got this great new idea. You know, it may or may not be successful, but would you back me? I'd like to sell you stock in my company. You can't do that. Right. That's not legal. There are federal laws and there are state laws that, uh, I mean, the, the, the one overarching rule is you can't sell stock to the general public, period, unless you register the stock with the uh, with the SEC, or unless there's some exemption to the registration requirements. Yeah, I mean the, the way to think about it is you got to go public right. to sell, and that's and everybody knows that that's complicated, expensive. It requires that uh, glossy covered prospectus, and it requires you to file uh, financial statements and quarterly reports with the SEC. You know, you spend a lot of money just complying with the laws to in order to be a public company in order to be able to sell stock to the general public so you're you you don't have the resources to do that that's too expensive you don't have the track record to do that you don't have the financial statements to do that so at least in the world that I'm I'm familiar with what entrepreneurs will typically do is they'll spend their own money and they'll raise money from high net worth individuals yeah and the reason they raise money from high net worth individuals is, is, you know, as a practical matter, because those folks have disposable assets or income to risk that way, to put at risk and to invest that way, and as a legal matter, because they meet the, the, um, the regulatory definition of accredited investor, and that's key. Okay. That's uh, when we talk about Reg D offerings or Rule 506 offerings, um, we're referring to offerings that are designed uh, for people that meet this accredited investor test. Okay. Who uh, and the and the law says, look, if you're selling to accredited investors, you don't need to supply the same kind of prospectus and information that you need to supply when selling to the general public. And so the idea, real quick, to just jump in here on that. So the the the. The presumption there is if you are an accredited investor, you have a certain, um, a certain level of understanding about the risks involved with certain investments, and so you can protect yourself, whereas the public is too stupid to do that on their own, is basically the, like, the belief of the SEC or what? That's exactly right. And you know, you, you got it exactly right. You can, I'm sure even as you're speaking what you just so said. So I can have a baby and raise a child, but I cannot like invest money in a web app. <laughs> right, okay. right. And you're, you're, even the way you formulated it points out, we can sort of deconstruct what you just said. Because what we're, what we're saying is somehow that being rich 
is a proxy for sophistication. And we all know that that's not true. Okay. You know, there, there, are, there are people that were just born with wealth that, 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 that aren't sophisticated. And there are people that do not meet the test but deal with financial issues all the time and, and, and would, would be more sophisticated. But for better or worse, that's the way it's worked out. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you have a million dollars net worth, not including the value of your principal residence, that's a that's a change to the definition that happened with the Dodd Frank uh, Act. Okay. Or if you make more than two hundred thousand dollars a year and you have for a while, or you make more than three hundred thousand dollars a year with your spouse. So there's a there's a way you can satisfy it with your income. Okay. And there's a way you can satisfy it with your personal balance sheet. Okay. Then you are deemed accredited. So wait, you then, can be in a, you can be a quote unquote accredited investor just by having a high salary. Is this? That's right. Okay. You can. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, you have to have had that high. You have to have maintained that high salary for the prior two years and have a reasonable expectation of making it again in the current year. I see. And then you will be deemed accredited, and then it's okay for the first time web entrepreneur or startup entrepreneur to take money from you. Okay. Okay. There are certain filings that you want to make uh, um, uh, with the SEC, but it, it's it's and so you you know you do end up needing a lawyer, but it's a relatively compared to a, uh, 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 registering the stock with the SEC. Of course, the 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 costs aren't even comparable. You can right. do a you know you ought to be able to do a seed financing and raise a few hundred thousand dollars from angel investors and a Rule Five Hundred Six Reg D offering. Starting to throw terms at you. Is that fair now that we've covered some of the basic yeah, 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 yeah. definitions? <laughs> for for you know, uh, ten or fifteen thousand dollars, you'll get different prices from different people. Yeah, but, right, right, right. But there is some there is some compliance. You have to make a filing, a form D filing with the federal government, and then you have to make certain state filings. But the idea is, um, if you meet those Rule Five Hundred Six Reg D requirements and sell only to accredited investors, your information requirements are low. These folks are deemed sophisticated. Yeah. Uh, Anti-fraud rules still apply. You, you still can't commit fraud, but you don't. if you meet the, the federal requirement of 506 and sell only to accredited, you don't have to comply with state registration requirements because this rule preempts yeah. state law. There are other ways today that you can raise money without going to accredited Investors, you can, and without having to have an IPO, there are different state exemptions, limited offering registrations, many registration statements or limited offering exemptions, where you might say raise up to a million dollars or, or or different amounts state by state, or under Reg A, you can raise five million dollars by by filling out a having doing a fill in the blank prospectus. And going through a review process with the uh, 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 securities regulators, those don't get those don't get used very much because they're cumbersome and and expensive and complicated. I mean, the the method of choice, at least in the world that I'm in day to day, is to raise your money from accredited investors. And so yeah. the Jobs Act. Uh, does a number of things. One, it makes it easier to connect with those accredited investors. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think the order I'd like to go in is, so I know there's a whole bunch of 
uh, a whole bunch of stuff and concern about the potential for fraud and like the easings of certain restrictions after companies go into IPO. I read this article in Rolling Stone by Matt Taibbi. Um, but before yeah. we get into all of that, I guess the thing that I'm like most interested in is um, if we can go from, you know, so you gave us a good intro and then the next step being like, so if you are just, you know, an honest, small business startup person, and now that you're interested in this new kind of financing, like what it means for you, right? And then we can talk about all that other that other stuff after that. And then anything you think that is a good segue into that, then that's, you know, let's, let's cover that too. So the new things that the, the Jobs Act gives you? Yeah, so like you are, so you have someone like me. I've got a couple web apps. If I were to decide, I haven't gone after any angel funding. I haven't gone after funding of any kind. And now there's this new thing I keep hearing about. Yeah. What does it, the things that I don't know and the questions that I would have are, so does this mean anybody can just give me money? How do I issue them like stock? Is that like some paper thing I need to print, right? Like most. Right. I don't know. I wouldn't know any of that stuff, right? My the extent of it is, I would probably send you an email now and say, "Hey, I want to do this. Can you help me? And how much would it cost?" Right. Well, of course, what a lot of people are pinning their hopes on now about the Jobs Act is this new crowdfunding exemption. Yeah. And the place to start thinking about that, even though it's different, and we'll draw the distinctions and 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 connect dots to the similarities. The place to start thinking about that is Kickstarter. You know, you as a web entrepreneur seeing these. Uh, um, video game companies and yep. other companies recently, very famously, you know, raising hundreds of thousands, sometimes over a million dollars yeah, in relatively yeah. short periods of time yeah. through Kickstarter. And and they're doing that, as you know, not by selling stock in the companies, because that's illegal. Going right. back to where we started the conversation, <laughs> right. can't sell stock to the general public without, you know, basically having an IPO. Right. So these companies on Kickstarter are not having IPOs. They're just they're just selling something other than stock. They're selling, uh, uh, you know, uh, they're pre-selling copies of the game yeah. or or sponsorships to be in the game or or the actual product that they're going to be selling that kind of stuff. Yeah, bragging rights or something other than stock. The the people that are donating the money or giving the money or buying something. Do not have a piece of equity in the company. They don't. They're not making an investment. They're not going to get a, a piece of the of the video game company when it goes public or when right, it sells. Right. And so the idea is: can can people can you crowdfund not just product, but can you crowdfund equity as well? Can you crowdfund stock as well? And as you know, a number of people across the country got together and advocated for an exemption like some European countries have, and they were successful. The Jobs Act has a whole section, Title III, that's about crowdfunding, that says it, it, it's okay. It'll take 270 days for the SEC to write the rules, so you can't do it today, but on the horizon, you know, a year or so from now, right. rules are supposed to be written that will permit you as an entrepreneur to say, you know, I'm not going to go look for angels. Instead, I'm going to go look for a crowdfunding portal, and I'm going to apply with them and list with them and try to do my deal through them. The new crowdfunding law 
requires you to go to a portal. Okay. And it puts it puts obligations on you as the issuer of the stock that are similar to the kind of obligations that lawyers like me are familiar with from these state limited offering exemptions. You know, it tells you certain things you have to disclose and financial statements you have to have and liability that you have personally if you say something, if you make an omission in your disclosure to investors, and it tells the platform things that it has to do as well. Okay. It has to it has to do some background check on you before it can put you up there. It has to make sure that the investors are not putting in more money than the legal limit. Okay. Uh, because investors are there's a cap on how much you can invest that basically is uh, is progressive, like uh, depending on how how rich you are, right. your limit is higher. Right. Um, so so. <laughs> It's not a simple the, – the angel investor exemption is really, really simple. As long as you're only dealing with rich people to invest in your company, mm-hmm. there are very few express regulatory requirements. The crowdfunding exemption is going to be complicated. Right. Um, the, the, you as a entrepreneur approaching one of these – crowdfunding platforms are, are going to leverage the, the fact, I think, I think this is how it will turn out, that they will have done a lot of the work for you. Okay. They will have figured out what the rules are, and certainly they'll have gotten their acts together when we think about what they need to do to comply. Right. They will have a sense of, of what kind of hoops they have to put you through to make you eligible to be on the platform. And although the, uh, the, the Jobs Act law itself doesn't require the um, the uh, the offerings made in a crowdfunded platform to be standardized. My guess is for this to work because of because of how complex it all is, the crowdfunding platforms will tend to enforce almost like a standard terms of service. Yeah, right. And right, they'll right. tend to say, "Hey, if you want to raise money on our platform, yeah, you've got to be fair to investors by giving them you know these right. kinds of terms, right. and you've got to you know." And and kind of make it cookie cutter, yeah. To 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 keep the cost down. So that's a, a long-winded way of saying because of the Jobs Act, now an entrepreneur might not have to go to angel investors. You might have this alternative now of going to the general public through a, through an online portal, just like uh, just like you see folks doing on Kickstarter today. Yeah, yeah. Very much like that. And you can say instead of you know we're going to send you a T-shirt, instead you can say you know you're going to you're going to buy a share in the company. Yeah. So, okay. So when I think of stock, and this is the part where it maybe maybe there just aren't answers to this yet. The, where I start getting really confused with the whole crowdsourcing piece is, let's say I want to raise five hundred thousand dollars for a web product of mine. And for that $500,000, I think that I should only have to give up, let's say, 10% of my equity, right? Yeah. Um, A, like, I've just pulled that number out of thin air. Right. right? And B, 
if I'm on the opposite side of that, like I like in my mind, stock is something that has a like a value associated with it that I can sell at any time I want, and it may go up or down in value, right? So if I buy a hundred shares of Apple and it goes down, I still know how much my hundred shares of Apple is worth, right? So how do the the people that are are that are doing the funding, right? If they buy two thousand dollars worth of Andrew's web product, right? How do they know what the value is eight months later or a year later if nothing else has happened with my company, right? And can they sell it on this? Mar on the, is the idea that they could sell their stock to somebody else and that there will be like that these crowdfunding platforms will turn into like pseudo marketplaces or what? Do we even know the answers to that yet or, or no? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if we know the answer to that yet. The the as an initial matter, the the stock that gets issued to you when you first buy it via the crowdfunding platform from from you know the the, the Wicklander company that's that's raising money that way right. is that stock that you get in that transaction is restricted and cannot be resold. I think the statute says for a year. So. Okay. And so I think the I, I think the concept there is, um, um, you know, we don't want to create this mania of of uh, of um, you know demand for a hot issue where people are just sort of uh, floating the stock to 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 resell it and then resell it and just kind of churn it and okay. and and take advantage. So you got to sit on the stock for a while. There are exceptions to that. You can sell it back to the company. I think it says you can transfer it to friends or not friends, but family. I think it says that. Okay. And you can sell it to accredited investors. Always always make out. I think you can sell it to accredited investors too. Okay. Again, probably because they're sophisticated and they can understand what they're right. doing. Right. Okay. But um, no, you're 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 quite right. It's it'd be the same position an angel investor would be in. Yeah. Um. You know, in a company that's still that's still burning cash, that is not profitable, that needs to raise more money down the road to continue to grow and expand and fulfill its business plan, uh -huh. the 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 uh, the valuation is uh, speculative. It's a matter of negotiation. There isn't a you know by by traditional valuation methods, you could even say the company still has no value a year later if it's if it's uh, if it's just taking the cash get raised, then it's just, right. you know, burning it to develop things and and isn't actually making money yet. So yeah, you, uh, there may not be there may not be an established valuation. So it sounds. I mean, if so, if we assume nothing other than the companies that go the crowdsourcing route are going to have a similar success and failure rate is companies that go the angel funding route, right? Which we, I have no idea if that will actually be the case, but if we just pretend for a moment. That means there's a lot of people that are going to lose a lot of money, right? Well, you could look at it that way. You could look at it that way. I, I mean, there I might think... be a smaller group of people that are going to end up potentially funding a big app, right? But I mean, I think the, it, we, we know that like VCs typically try to get like 10 times the their money back because nine out of their 10 investments fail, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a certain. it would be reasonable to assume that on a crowdfunding platform, 
at least nine out of those ten companies will also fail, right? Maybe. I mean, I think I think we've got so much uh, invested in the current frameworks and ways of looking at things. Mm-hmm. I think you see that reflected in a lot of the press that's hysterical about the about uh, you know how crowdfunding is just a way for people to be get get ripped off. I think they're right. they've committed themselves to a a different paradigm, uh, a different way of, of looking at, at, at things. You know, the VC model is very, very specific, right. and you could you could you could you could approach it at a simplistic level and say, sure, the one or two out of ten or twelve that 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 uh, make it in a portfolio, you're just playing the odds. On the other hand, it's more it's more involved than that. Part of that model requires you to push capital on on on. On companies and 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 just to play a hypothetical, it may be that if you had, uh, if you've got a portfolio and you're a VC and you've got a dozen companies in them, it may be that three or four of them could actually be successful. Okay. Um, in in the in the in the if you just focused instead on the organic integrity of each individual business, you might be able to get five or six of them. Yeah. To, 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 to make it, and maybe three or four of them would even turn out to be profitable. But that doesn't do you much good. If you've put, you know, you and your other VCs have put 20 or 30 million bucks in it, it doesn't do you any good to sell it for 30 or 40 million dollars and only get a 1.2x return. You, you need, you, so what you're going to do is you're going to say, I've got three or four viable businesses, I need to make one of these be the, the, the 10x return. <laughs> right, 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 right. And you'll hear this a lot of, from entrepreneurs that are a little bit shocked by the experience that they, they, are, they, are, they are told to take risks they don't want to take okay. and expand and, and go for the goal, go for the brass ring in a way that they don't need to when they might be more inclined to mitigate some of that risk and address the market they have, which may not be as sexy or as big right. as as the as the as they might have first imagined or as the VC right. investor wanted, and so that you know they might be willing to, to to swing for a for a single or a double, but the VC wants them to try to hit a triple or to hit it out of the park. Yeah, right. So right. so that model cre- in a way almost reinforces its own success rate. Yeah. Similarly, you know, you've got a whole swath of different kind of angels with different success figures. But, 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 you know, I think it's fair to say you're, you're one in a one in a dozen. You know, is is it would 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 be a would be more of a norm. On okay. um, the on the on, in terms of crowdfunding, I don't know why we assume that the crowdfunding investors are going to bring a VC mentality to their portfolio. Oh, I see. Okay. Or, or 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 even an angel mentality. I mean, it, it may be that they bring a, and I'm not a good spokesperson for this. I know there are a lot of people in the who are crowdfunding advocates that that that, that speak for a phenomenon called the local vesting or local vesting. Okay. And it's it's more about uh, being involved in your in your uh, community and supporting yeah, the yeah. ecosystem of businesses around you. And it may be that you're not looking to, uh, you're not looking to get a ten time return and become, you know, hit your hit your 
$2,000 investment, make it a $10,000 investment in an IPO in four or five years. Right. It may be that you're looking to support the local business that improves the quality of life for you, your family, the rest of the community. Yeah. Gets, you know, makes the more the local economy more vibrant. Maybe there may be issues of sort of quality of life. You may not go in intending to lose your money or write it off. But it, it may be that there are other there are other factors that, that make that investment make sense. I liked something that the president said. Uh, I don't I know we don't want to get into politics here, but it's very hard to find a unifying theme to the Jobs Act since there's a piece for VCs and there's a piece for angels and there's a piece for crowdfunding. But the president said something when he signed the bill when he was making a statement signing the bill. He said, uh, "Now for the first time, in addition to." Uh, uh, high net individuals from whom entrepreneurs get money. They can all uh, entrepreneurs can now go uh, get money from the American people. Okay. And I thought, what? A, and and I I was talking to um, Dan of WeFunder. I can't remember Dan's last name afterwards. Uh, and and I remember him saying, I wish we had thought of that phrase <laughs> when we were advocating for crowdfunding all this time. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. There's something democratic about it that 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 we we're used to this paradigm that says you have to be a member of an exclusive club to yep. back entrepreneurs that that normal people are not allowed to do that the American people are not allowed to do that right. <laughs> um, so there's there's something genuinely democratic about this I I guess the thing that that it's that th- seems like it's throwing me off about the crowdfunding bill is it's um, in even from a, like looking at it from a potential investor side, right? If or a funder side, I feel like I still don't know how, like how would I get my money back or how would I get my money and my return back if I can't like if I invest in the company, but I can't I can only transfer the stock but I can't sell it, like. If I invest a couple thousand dollars in a new web startup, when when do I realize the return on my investment if there's going to be one? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I don't. You, you may not. Right, you're going to have to be confronted with the same kind of disclosures that angels get in, in deals today. I mean, that's mandated by the law, which is you may lose your entire investment. Sure, you but may I mean, never, you may would, never have liquidity. But let's I pretend. Don't anything. But let's pretend I've invested in a company that does well. It blows up. It's doing great, right? So, so my money is. I'm going to definitely get my money back, right? They've. But it ha, Like, what is the mechanism through which I get the return? So is it because now they they originally crowd funded five hundred thousand? And now they've gotten five million, and they need to like pay out a dividend, or I guess I just feel like I don't know the other like, in, where where at what point is does the investment become liquid if the company does success is successful? I don't think there's anything at all anything at all about the crowdfunding bill and crowdfunding exemption and the new regulations. I don't think there's anything at all. That, that draws that path to liquidity for you. Nothing at all. That's going to be entirely up to okay. the company, and that's going to be you know the kind of assurances you might be able to extract from the company in terms of what their plans are is going to be up 
you know, up to you inventing the deal in the first place. I see. So, and I'm just for easiness sake. So you could say, okay, I'm going to sell 10% of my company for $500,000 and the point at which I become profitable, you get a 10%, you get, you get 10% of my profits every month. I mean, that's your whatever. Yeah, I suppose somebody could offer a deal like that. I think that platforms are going to standardize, you know, terms like that. That sounds like a, that sounds like an awfully high valuation, but, but the, I guess the crowdfunding deals, the valuations will tend to be high because you're not going to have a single investor that's going to be able to drive down. It's going to be the platforms, I guess, the platforms and, and the market. You're right. I think the, the crowdfunding valuations are probably going to tend to be higher. Yeah, I mean, I'm just throwing that out as an example. I guess the thing that's weird to me is, like, I wouldn't, me personally, I wouldn't want to invest in a company unless I at least knew, like, how I could sell that investment to get my money back. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. so you think that that's something that would just be part of the terms of all the deals that, so, so, so it would be more of a... No, I think it's, I think it's an unanswered question. I think you're, okay. you're pointing out a, a, a flaw in the model, and, and I, I like where you were going with your suggestion that somehow, some way, a secondary market's going to have to develop to, to, to give people you know, right. some kind of liquidity. As long as the, the company's still in there pitching and there's some perceived value, even if there isn't a uh, liquidity event, per se, even if the company hasn't been sold or hasn't gone public, um, so that you could sell in the public market, that's going to, you know, presumably some sort of secondary market may develop as it has for angel investors and VCs with the secondary trading markets that have developed in California. Well, so, the, I mean, the, the, the way it works with the angel model is you sort of figure out those terms up front, right? So that, you know, if you... No, angels don't get assurances like that, typically. They're in the same boat that you're describing. Really? Like, okay. Yeah, they're they're angels. Are, angels and angel groups are constantly uh, trying to figure out the liquidity problem, the exit problem. You know, how can we get the exit earlier? Where? How can we move the sale up? How can we uh, get them to IPO? And and uh, and uh, the secondary markets has become one way to talk, sort of take some pressure off of that. Hmm. Because yeah, because there, you you can't you can't predict when the company will go public, if it ever will. It's, right. it's rare that a company will go public, the odds, the odds would say. And then increasingly, you've got founders that are committed to their companies that don't want to go public. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the main means of liquidity lately has been for the companies to, to, to sell. The startups almost being a kind of a, an outsourced R&D function yeah. for bigger corporations. Right. So maybe that's a, maybe that'll end up being the de facto prevalent way of, of liquidity for crowdfunded deals is yeah. you know to, to make something of the company and then and then and then sell sell it out. Well, right. I mean, I guess the thing that confuses me about it is that if if like in the absence of a liquidity event like a sale, in which case I understand how you know if somebody gets ten if somebody buys ten percent of your company and you sell it, they get ten percent of the the sale or whatever. Right, or the the profits on the sale, but let's pretend I get people to invest in one of my web apps, and the invest the infusion of the initial let's say two hundred or three hundred or four hundred grand, whatever it is, allows me to build up a profitable business. And okay, great, I'm happy now. I have a profitable business. I can pay my employees. 
I'm kicking out enough money to like pay myself and put a little bit of savings and I don't want to do anything else. I'm good. I raised my money. Now I have a profitable business. I can live on it. It's self-sustaining. Yeah. What, if, what about the people that invested in my company? Right? If I'm not selling, then they're just, they're just way, then there has to be some secondary market, right? Otherwise, they're just holding a worthless piece of paper. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I don't think there's anything about the crowdfunding bill that's going to give you any assurance. That that that, that, that I think you just you just I, I, what I hear you the way I interpret what you're saying is you just better be careful not to invest in a a typical uh, uh, tech startup type deal because you will not have uh, assurances of any kind of liquidity. Well, yeah, I guess the thing that's interesting to me about it is that like. The crowdfunding thing seems to me to appeal to people like me who want to build a business. Like I'm not – I don't want to build something and then flip it to Google, right? Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just not like what I personally want to be tr- trying to do. I want to build – So maybe you want to give dividends to your investors. What's maybe that? You want to give, maybe you want to give dividends to your investors as you become profitable. Maybe that's the way you're going to return right. okay. liquidity to your investors over time. Yeah. I see. So yeah, now, so it sounds like that's all part of the like the, the deal making that gets worked out. Okay. Yeah, that's not part of the regulations or the law. That's going to be part of the deal making. Okay. You know, you, you deal with a lawyer like me, and you're the advice you're you're typically going to get is don't make promises about distributing dividends and set people's expectation when you don't know if you'll ever be profitable. Right. <laughs> but right. but it may it may be that the, the reality will be that people will work out the way to say, look, this whole thing could fail, and so nobody may ever get a dime. But our, you know, our current intention would be to run this thing in the following way, and when we become profitable, we start, you know, sharing the profits with investors in the form of dividends. But I think you probably find a class of investment that, that would would do that. And you're, you, there'll be all sorts of people using crowdfunding platforms. It won't just be the tech businesses or or the uh, or the uh, or the local, you know, restaurants or community-based businesses. There'll be businesses that are web-oriented from entrepreneurs like like you and like you're describing where you want to you might be running any number of businesses in, and 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 not be looking to, uh, to 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 sell them or IPO them necessarily right 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 I mean the derogatory term that gets used sometimes is lifestyle businesses but but yeah, if, you've read, I, if you've read my blog, you know that that phrase drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's no, a derogative term from the like, point of view. It's an invest. It's an. It's something. It's a term that investors use. Right. Right. Because we all know that, like, building a business that sustains you and your family and allows you to live the life that you want to leave uh, live is is uh, you know just this like terribly easy thing that anybody can do. <laughs> Entrepreneurship is a lifestyle, and, the, and those that have the bug, you know, even the ones that do the, that cooperate with the VCs and the angels and the investors who want liquidity, yep. who want a return, you know, they may make peace and cooperate and have a good symbiotic relationship with such folks, but for them, entrepreneurship typically is a lifestyle because they'll no sooner have a liquidity event. Maybe do a couple of years at Google or Microsoft or whoever yeah. bought them. Do their time, as it were, <laughs> to fulfill the to fulfill the the, um, the obligations of the of the sale, right. and then they'll go off and do it again. Yeah, because it isn't about the, 
Well, it is about money in the sense that when they do it the second time, they've got some stake money and they can yeah. do it even fewer strings the next time. Right, but it's more about making something, right? Yeah, making something out of nothing, being your own boss. So you are, I mean, you seem like, from just from what I've read on your on your blog and the, the live blogging thing you did with the Wall Street Journal the other day, I don't want to misrepresent you, but it seems like you're, by and large, a fan of the crowdfunding bill. Is that is that accurate? I think it should be given a shot. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm wary of it from a uh, pure, you know, I'm disappointed that the, the, the original House bill, for those that want some context for this Jobs Act, the Jobs Act is a, is a hodgepodge, is a grab bag, is a package of very different bills that were passed in the House last year. One dealing with angel investing, one dealing with uh, with uh, companies that want an IPO, uh, one this crowdfunding exemption, and there are a few others thrown in there too. Okay. And they were uh, three or four of them were passed separately, and uh, um, the the House leadership, uh, seeing that some of them weren't going anywhere, kind of packaged them together, gave it this acronym: Jumpstart Our Business Startups tied it loosely to jobs and 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 presented it as a holistic bill and it's it, it's it's really not it's a bunch of very just different different bills that were that were cobbled together in the original house set of bills there was a crowdfunding exemption uh, sponsored by representative Patrick McHenry of North Carolina that was who knows whether the crowdfunding is going to work or not, but at least it was a it was it was I think a more sincere, earnest, and honest attempt to give crowdfunding a chance mm -hmm. because it it bought into the idea of wisdom of the crowds. Okay. The, okay. the Senate, being more patrician, being more conservative, uh, regulators having their ear more, um, uh, they didn't trust or like the idea of crowdfunding. It smelled of fraud to them. Right. And so they overlaid it with a bunch of regulatory requirements that if you if you believe in the old paradigm that 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 normal people shouldn't be investing in high risk things, mm -hmm. if that's your assumption, then all those regulations make sense. But but they they they're not consistent with the crowdfunding premise, which is if 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 information is open and transparent. If everything's out there on the web, if everybody's free to discuss whatever they want and exchange information, then this kind of crowdsourced wisdom will be brought to bear exactly. on the opportunity. And and I'm not saying that I believe that it works, but that's the that's the that's yeah, right. the theory. Right. And, and and it's a different it's a different fraud protection paradigm than the old one. The old one is don't say anything to anybody. Right. Carefully control the information. Put the information in a box. Put a put a lock on the box. Put the you know put the box in a vault. Put guards around it and don't let anybody have that information. I see. So you're and then, yeah and right, then right, when right, you, okay yeah and and so let me, let me give you a quick example of how the McHenry bill is different from the one that got passed on crowdfunding. McHenry said it was a point of, consistent I think with the crowdfunding ethos. Said that. You as an issuer doing crowdfunding must have a way on your website. You must have a way for investors to communicate to you and among each other. 
So it was bought into this idea that you got to let people talk. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. And... And the the Senate bill is more in line with the old, you know, put everything in a in an offering document, yeah. and make sure everybody has the same information, and protect people's personal identities and don't let their personal right. information and their privacy get out. And it's like, well, hang on a second, wait a second, you know, are you setting something up now that where? You know, information is again going to be siloed, and you're not going to let the crowdfunded, right. crowdfunding investors talk to each other. Okay. That may be their very best protection. Right. You know, right. Be able to compare notes. Because you're, so you're almost, you're envisioning these platforms. You know, there there might be some people that put an idea up there, and there's a whole slew of people saying this is like the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard for an application. And the person who started this company also did some other crazy thing five years ago that failed, and that the information will 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 sort of uh, will help educate the, the potential funders. Will that would have been a more honest experiment to try that out. Okay. To try that out, yeah. And, and, and sort of trust, is the, is the right information going to tend to right. rise to the surface? Because probably, probably everybody, probably the average person would assume, well, every deal is going to have, just like, you know, commenters on blogs, right? You get crazy people <laughs> right. throwing, 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 spaghetti at the wall all the time yeah. but, but you, you you know over the course of days weeks you get the sense of somebody's the way their mind works the way they think the, yeah. the values they have by how they can by their by their by their consistent presence online over time right right so have you it may be too early but have you formed an opinion yet on if if someone like me came to you and said hey I will, I'm looking to raise a few hundred thousand dollars have you formed an opinion on whether angel investing would be the way to go for that person or whether they should try the new crowdfunding approach? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would have a, 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 a typical, I think that's going to be case by case. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up maybe over the next five or 10 minutes or so, but let's spend a little bit of time talking about, uh, the potential for fraud, some of people's concerns. I read the, this scathing article by Matt Taibbi in Rolling Stone the other day um, saying that the Jobs Act was basically like, his biggest issue with it was that it, if I, if I understand it correctly, there's a provision that if you do go into an, if you do have an IPO event, that you do not have to have independent um, like accounting firms validate your numbers for like five years after going public is that is that right yeah there's a there, the the IPO on-ramp provision, provisions of the job act contemplate that that you, there'll be this transition time it, that you you'll you'll warm up to the full-blown okay. Sarbanes-Oxley and other requirements over a period of time while you're still small while you're still less than a billion dollar company <laughs> so so now so because I'm in, in Chicago, and we like using Groupon as an example for everything here. Um, yeah. So does this mean that if Groupon had gone public under the new Jobs Act, that they would they would not have had to be publishing the numbers that they're publishing right now, and they could still be talking about how they're they're profitable because they're not including their marketing expenses and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, that's certainly the drift of of the 
Andrew Ross Sorkin, um, you know, New York Times Dealbook piece or two that he's written very, very adamantly against the the the, the Jobs Act for the reasons you're citing, and he uses Groupon as his poster child. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, exactly as you're saying, um, that rings really hollow to me. Okay. Because, uh, in as he says, you know, he was worrying about Groupon at the time. I don't think, you know, from my point of view, Groupon's weaknesses were apparent. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's your hometown company. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. We we we, we, we yeah. But I I would I would speculate that people putting money into that were were speculating that the, that the hype itself would carry right, their investment right, right. through some period of time, and they may rue the fact that they didn't have as much time to you know get out as they they might have thought. But it's hard for me to see how anybody. Could without even looking at the financials, uh, could think that that was anything but a um, you know a, a uh, flavor of the day kind of kind of IPO. But that's just that's we're, we don't but if have it that was, as, if, if if Groupon was operating in the new world right now, they wouldn't even need to be putting out these numbers, right? They would just be a public company and they'd be saying like we're huge and awesome and we're profitable. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, I I don't think any any. Any number of financial reporting requirements is going to keep companies that are essentially hype from continuing. There's always going to be that category. Right. There's always going to be the lemming mentality. There's always going to be people, you know, trying to do pump and dump. And yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, it just maybe be a different stage in the company's life. Maybe it'd be different. I I don't know. I, what why why one needs to protect from um, uh, people from. I mean, some people just won't read. Won't read it. They'll believe what they want to believe. Yeah. I don't. I don't. That doesn't seem to me that that's a that's a um, that uh, that the that the answer there is more regulation. Maybe it's more investor um, uh, education. Right. Right. So there are all kinds of reasons to think that the the, the Groupon model was not sustainable. They're spending more money. You know, to attract the revenue, than they were, than than, right. and and that was you didn't have to read the financials; you could just read the the risk factors in the Groupon perspective. Right. Know that. Right. So it seems. I mean, as far as the potential for fraud for just individual individual people, um, it seems like it kind of all just comes down to like intent. I was chatting about this with a with a friend of mine, where like if you had a you. The difference between legitimacy and fraud is going to ultimately come down to like the person's state of mind, right? So, mm. if, yeah, I, I, well, in terms of willful fraud, I think you're right. I mean, it's a little trickier than that because there's this concept in the securities laws of a material omission. Okay, and that would be, you know, we, we can all clearly say, you know, there's a fact about the company or the business that you don't want people to know because it would make them think negatively of the business. And so you hide that fact. Okay. You, you, you Like the, the, the biggest customer who you're touting as the person that's going to buy the product has sent you a letter saying, you know what, we looked at your shitty product and there's no way we're ever going to buy it. And you conveniently rip that letter up and throw it away and don't tell anybody about it. That's not cool. You know, and that, that's, that's bad. But there's another category of material omissions, which would say, look, not only 
did you affirmatively tell people what you actually happen to know, but you also undertook some effort over and above what you actually know to investigate and to find out things that you didn't know but you should have asked about. And that's that's where it gets a little bit tricky. For a, for a company that's got a couple hundred employees and got a financial control person and got, you know, different executives looking at different areas of the company, you know, you, you've got the resources to, when you're putting together an offering, to say, you know, we, be, we, better, we better share with the investors the, the market size. Well, we don't know the market size. We better go find out. You know, we better go find out. Um, um, we, we, don't, we don't have any competitors. No, that can't be right. There must be competitors. We, we better do some research and find out who our competitors are. And you right. might affirmatively, you know, spend a month. Yeah. Doing some, getting some information together before you. It's not that you didn't have confidence in your business, but you think, no, we're going to go raise money for people now. So we need to, we need to kind of put our story or our beliefs in some real world context and go educate ourselves. Right. Will, will the one or two or three person garage shop, you know, uh, be able to meet that material omission standard? Not without any malice, without any bad intent. You know, won't, will it not be the case that the typical crowdfunding deal, if you put the scrutiny of a material omission standard, fail in some way? Well, you could have, you know, you, you could have known if you had, if you'd spent another if you'd spent another day online, you could have found all this right. stuff about that would have been it would have impacted people's yeah. Um, Right. I guess I just I can envision like an idea for I can envision like a web app, right? Where you have one person who's like they legitimately like they believe that it could be a successful business and they work hard to try and make it a successful business and they like hire the right people and they think and it just doesn't work, right? And they fail yeah. and that's you know what that happens, right? And then you have yeah. somebody else who's like they same web app, right? And they're like this thing is never going to work, right? It's but Whatever, I'll get some. I'll be. I'll raise a couple hundred thousand dollars and pay some programmers to like make this stupid app so I can pay myself a hundred thousand dollars. And the only difference yeah. there is like the person's state of mind, right? In one, yeah. Like in one case, you have someone who like really believes in their idea, and the other one's like, "Yeah, this is like stupid, but whatever. If I can raise some money, I'll raise some money." Like in 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 one of those cases. Is the person committing fraud, and in the other one, the person's business just didn't succeed? Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, that's like, I'm, so I mean that more as a real question. Like, is that, like, do you see that as a possibility and something that will ultimately end up, like, coming up? Um, well, you were, you were, you were, you were clipping out on me digitally through half your question, but I think, I, 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 I think I follow you. I think the, the, um, because, because the way the crowdfunding liability provision reads, because it says that the issuer is deemed to include directors and officers of the issuer, and because it's a material omission standard, um, I think you, you, it's going, it's going to put a burden on, Maybe even younger than 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 a company that's raising money from angel investors, and they typically will will give a uh, if not a PP, they won't typically give a PPM these days, but they'll typically give a a purchase agreement that has certain reps and warranties about the company and disclosures about the company. Okay. 
and, and often risk factors about the company. And I, I think crowdfunding deal, if you're going to be careful, unless you're going to go in with the attitude that you have nothing to lose, you're going to have, you're going to, have to go through and disclose all that stuff, including material relationships with yourself, payments to yourself and to your affiliates and your family. Those will be, those will be in the same old world of securities law today. Those will be per se material items. You know, the way that money ends up in your pocket will will be very important to, to tell everybody. Right, right, right. I feel like the one thing I'm hearing more than anything is that if 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 me or anyone I know decides they're going to follow the crowdfunding approach, they should they should hire you as an attorney to make sure they're not breaking any laws. It's funny because I don't think somehow I haven't thought about this all completely through, but but I don't think. For crowdfunding to work, they've got to find a way to do it without attorneys. And I think that's going to have to be, you know, standardizing the deal terms, right. standardizing the relationships between companies and founders, um, uh, standardizing valuations, standardizing corporate structure. I guess I almost envision the platforms as being the drivers of all this, as saying, okay. look, if you want to raise money here, make sure you fit our profile. because. We so, want our so, investors to know they're buying this much of the company. We want our investors to know they're not the company's not paying you more than X. Yeah. We want our investors to know that you've signed these documents with the company. I see. And then it doesn't obviate the need for, for careful disclosures, but at least it narrows yeah, the variations. Right. So it's almost like after about. you raise this money money, zero to this much is gonna go into your pocket, you know, X to Y is gonna go in your pocket or more than this is gonna go in your pocket, and then you're gonna pay yourself this salary, pick a box, kind of thing. Perfectly legitimate, right? For for um, um, entrepreneurs to raise money in part to give them some kind of stipend and their allowance to live on while they're working full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've told people enough. I mean, when I look at the amount of like time, effort, my own my own skills, and the like, programmers that I've hired to build out some of my products. I would not even consider raising money for any of them unless it involved me taking some money off of the table right away, you mm-hmm. know? And I don't think there's, like, anything wrong with that, right? Because especially if you've already put in hundreds of thousands of dollars of your own time and money, right? Yeah. But if I was yeah. an investor and I saw that the person was going to take $150,000 off the table right away, I'd be like, hmm, I don't know about that. Hey, Andrew, there's one aspect, you know, in terms of the, 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 this theme of what does the Jobs Act add to the, to the, the alternatives that entrepreneurs have for raising money? Right. We've certainly talked about how crowdfunding adds an alternative. There's another one, too, that's, that's really nuanced and that's hard to, hard to describe, but it has to do with angel investing itself, which, okay. which, which is not a new alternative. We, we talked about it as being the primary one today. Yep. But, but today, there is a constraint around angel investing, and that is that the company cannot generally solicit or generally advertise for investors. Okay. So you have to, have, you have, to, you have to be in these clubby group, or you have to be introduced by somebody, or you have to have a pre-existing relationship with the investor. The, new, the, new, the, jobs, uh, the jobs Act says, it'll take 90 days for the SEC to write the rules, but the Jobs Act says... As long as you restrict the offering to accredited investors, you can now generally advertise and generally solicit. See, I didn't know you could. So you mean currently I couldn't just write a blog post and be like, hey, I'm accepting investors for this product now. Give me a call if you're interested. 
That's correct. Right now, you can't do that. Right now, if you did that, you would be violating the general solicitation rule, most likely. Oh, oh I'm glad I've never uh, written a blog post like that. But after, after this rule is implemented, you would be able to do that and okay. still rely on the Rule 506 accredited investor exemption as long as the investors in your deal at the end of the day were all 100% accredited. I see. So, okay. so it makes that angel financing route more uh, reachable, arguably. Uh, okay. You can, okay. You can, you, there's a famous professor, John Coffey of Columbia, who is skeptical about crowdfunding and, and these and these reforms he calls it tweeting for investors <laughs> and i think yeah, i think I, I think that's <laughs> that that will be okay i see huh that's interesting if you if you restrict who you take money from to people in that accredited investor class yeah well i you know i feel like we could probably we could we could go on for hours but we should probably wrap up here but i hope that for people listening it at least you know, sparks it maybe answered a couple questions and sparked a bunch of other questions. If uh, if you want to learn more about the Jobs Act and everything about it, I cannot recommend enough going to uh, wax6.com. That's W-A-C, the number six dot com. Um, Bill was at the the signing ceremony at the White House. He's been writing about all sorts about uh, all sorts about the Jobs Act. Um, I'm assuming we'll continue to do so and. Uh, uh, did a great, great live chat thing with the Wall Street Journal the other day. So definitely, I think this is going to open up more questions than what it answers, but hopefully it'll be helpful to some people. I know it was for me. So thank you so much for, for joining. Yeah, you bet, Andrew. It's been fun talking to you, and, and I appreciate the opportunity, and you're quite right. I will stay on these issues, you know, all the way through rulemaking and beyond probably. Awesome. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for uh, listening in to the Project Idealism podcast. Uh, We will uh, talk to you again next time. Thanks a lot.